Welcome to the Fanatical Elves Show, part of the Elves Network. We are a bunch of wild and crazy Cleveland Browns fans, bringing you all the latest in Browns news. Tune in now. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fanatical Elves show. We are part of the Fanatical Elves network. I am your host, John Suchan, and we have our wonderful colleagues here tonight. We have Joel, the left guard. We have the El- village Elliot, Elliot, and we have Steve Gill down there. Welcome, guys. How is everybody? How are you? Elliot, how are you doing? Doing outstanding. Thank you, John. Thanks for I'm, having me. I've, I'm still fixated on what Joel said earlier in a podcast. If you go back to uh, Elliot's and your, uh, your your podcast with Joel about your wonderful um, microphone, you are, it's mesmerizing. It's, it has me, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's awesome. So it projects professionality. It does. It yeah. does. Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm here. I'm I'm raring to go. Let's do it. And Steve, how are you doing down there? Well, I guess I'm raring to go as well. Let's do this thing. Well, it's just so nice. Let's. It's great to have everybody here. And uh, you know, we've had a week of uh, honoring G- the late Jim Brown, who passed away about a week ago. And um, we've shared our thoughts on our own podcast. You know, uh, Joel's got his "What the Elf Was That." show and then Elliot and uh Joel have their own show. We have the football philosophy and rocket science. And I know Steve joined me the other day when we we, we honored Jim Brown. But um any opening comments about uh your thoughts on, on the late Jim Brown? I know we've kind of covered our bases, but any any things that, that stand out? I know for, for me personally, just going back and looking at some of the statistics that he's accumulated and the seasons that he had where they were playing 12 and 14 game seasons. It's just amazes me when you look at these, you know, uh, stat lines, you know, he'd go 25 carries, 20 carries for 175 yards or 230 yards. It just every, every season was just con- so consistent with that. So that's what I really have ta- been taking away from that, but really how he really was just someone very special. What are your thoughts on that? Anybody? I'll jump in here. Okay, Joel. I, I just, I am just, you know, as you guys know, I'm all about football. If I'm not dealing with football, I'm dealing with philosophy. Hence our podcast, Football Philosophy and Rocket Science. So I'm all about the football aspect of this stuff. Jim Brown, I just want to point out just the stats are there, the stats are consistent. But Jim Brown played against the defense where the idea was to line up a guy on every other offensive guy. And they usually came out with, Two tight ends, you've got seven linemen, seven defensive linemen on them, and two linebackers behind them. That's a right. nine-man box. And Jim Brown is like 
running these incredible stats against nine man boxes. It's it's just it's unbelievable. It really was. Yeah. Steve, you yes. you touched on it a little bit um when we talked a little bit. You had a chance to see him play. Yes, I did. And um just you know how you're I know you've probably looked at his and been, saw those sorts of stats in the past. I mean, what are your uh, thoughts on on Jim's passing and um, where the where the team might go from here? Um, he is iconic. He was the Cleveland Brown. I know Motley and Otto Graham before that, but that's mm-hmm. how people know the Cleveland Browns. Oh yeah, Jim Brown. Never missed a game. Astonishing. Right. Never missed a game. When I was a kid, I thought he was the biggest guy I'd ever saw in my life. He's bigger than his offensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a kid, I thought he was like a superhero. You know, oh, yeah. and he had his faults. But he, after after his playing career, he tried to do the best he could to, you know, bring gangs together in L.A. and and fight for different causes. But you know, to me, he was the greatest football player, yeah. period. Elliot, you wrote a really good piece a couple of years ago about Jim Brown for Dog Pound Daily, who you write for. And um, you touched on just what the, the greatness of Jim Brown then. But did you want to elaborate on any points that? Yeah, I, I think yeah. you could have a show about Jim Brown every week for an entire year. And yeah. we wouldn't run out of things to talk about. Jim Brown was <laughs> yeah. multidimensional. Not all of it was good, but a lot of it was. Jim Brown was a humanitarian. Jim Brown did a lot for the inner city in Cleveland, as well as Los Angeles. When he moved, he mm-hmm. was a Hollywood movie star. You got, you know, you, you talk about little Elliot having a date with a Cincinnati uh, Bengals <laughs> cheerleader. That was true. Uh, Jim Brown hung out with Raquel Welch, who was the preeminent sex symbol Yes. the 1960s, that was just unbelievable at the time. I mean, mm. people couldn't believe it that Hollywood would dare do that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can take it up with Mr. Brown, um, <clears throat> but that happened. And, right. Uh, you know, it was just unbelievable what he did uh, in a number of different fields. He was a social activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one that... Uh, attempted to negotiate a resolution about whether uh, African-American athletes were going to either support or mm-hmm. uh, not support Muhammad Ali in 1967 when he right. decided that his religion was going to prevent him uh, from uh, participating in the uh, U.S. Army draft. I mean, there were huge political issues in the 1960s. Yes. Uh, and uh, Jim Brown was, you know, whether you liked him or not, he was part of that d- national debate. He was mm-hmm. a nationally known political figure. And I guess you'd probably say that uh, probably more people disliked him than liked him for that. Yeah. He was. It there. was so, you know, when we're, tra- we're uh, you know, the Browns this week opened up OTAs, um, their kind of their voluntary practices and sticking kind of with this Jim Brown, you know, uh, honoring him. I know one of the, you know, many questions that Brown's coach, Kevin Stefanski 
um, was given at the beginning of, you know, the, the, the week, you know, about honoring Jim Brown. And he shared a brief story about how when he first met his uh, or Jim Brown, when he first got hired as the coach, that his first experience was he immediately went and called his dad uh, and and shared how he had just met, you know, Jim Brown and how his dad, you know, grew up in this era where, you know, he Jim Brown was a superhero, like you said, Steve. And um, so that I thought that was really, really cool. And uh, I thought it kind of and in this in his description to the uh, to the media earlier in the week, Stefanski talked about, you know, moving forward and, and, and having the young players learn, you know, what the importance of Jim Brown was to the organization and is the organization. Um, I thought, so I thought that was good. And they, they indicated there would be some things that the Browns would be doing, obviously to honor Jim Brown could be some short-term things and maybe some even long-term things. So I don't know, like there's some ideas floating around as far as putting number 32 on the 50 yard line, or maybe having the players wear that, a helmet um, and maybe naming the stadium or a street or something to do with the stadium area. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that. Do you guys have any in, uh, takes on that right now? I like 32 on the field. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I, think that, mm-hmm. I like the helmet. <clears throat> I do too. I like that helmet idea. People say don't mess with the helmet, but that's what the helmet looked like when he played. I mean, yeah. <laughs> did they have now, the now? They had the white helmets, right? Didn't they have, wear a white helmet? They, they did have white helmets. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what the helmet looked like when Otto Graham played. They were white yeah. helmets. When so, was that change made to the orange helmets exclusively? Was it because did they alternate between the two or no? I mean, was that I, ever? I don't know exactly, but I, okay. I I think that was pretty early on. I think that was uh, probably when they were still in the. America football conference in the 1940s, but I really don't know. I believe it. Um, Paul Brown used to, well, he was the first coach to take his team away from the city and he'd take them to college campuses. And uh, they went to Bowling Green University, and that was his way of thanking them. They uh, converted uniform, helmet, and that kind of stuff, because that's kind of what Bowling Green looked like at the time. So to, okay. to thank them for the classroom use, the field oh, use, yeah. he, yeah. He, yeah. According so, to Google, it was 1952. 1952. Yeah. Okay. Uh-oh. Google yeah, is God. Google is everything. Um, so the Browns that, are, are immersed in OTAs this week, and Ooh. there are lots of stories now, you know, um, going out there, and we can touch on a few of those this week. Deshaun Watson, I found it interesting just uh, some of the headlines, and if anybody wants to go into that a little bit more deep, deeply, um, Deshaun Watson uh, coming back with his crew, he took them to Puerto Rico. Um, players are like the young Elijah Moore commenting on Deshaun Watson really getting into the playbook, um, constantly studying things, um, which is nice. I shared this on a story coming out here in the next day or two um, about how it's just nice to have that uh, or at least hear about a quarterback that's really trying to improve and and studying things uh, contrary to old players that we've had in the past, like a Johnny Manziel. Um there's other stories out there. Obviously, we've got Zarian uh, Smith, Zadarius Smith here um, with uh, some of the other veterans like Juan Thornhill. 
who seems to be coming, you know, he's kind of a, a speaking his mind. And I think he threw out the first pitch or something the other day. Um, there's also uh, the big storyline kind of creeping into everybody's thoughts here as far as Browns fans and some media locally are talking about it is there are some veterans that have, aren't there, including Nick Chubb, um, but also Joe the Petonio. Joe Petonio and uh, David Njoku. But the, but the headline that seems to be getting a lot of the press is Miles Garrett. We have a new defensive coordinator in uh, Jim Schwartz and interesting side story here before we get into that is Schwartz is wearing uh, he wore one of the players' jerseys, uh, number fifty-one, which I think we talked about this before. What is the, the kids a linebacker, special teams player? Um, Jordan Kanasik. Yes, and he wanted to. He wants to give praise and props to these guys who are really working hard. And so uh, it sounds like uh, Schwartz isn't going to be wearing number ninety-five anytime soon. Just what are your thoughts on? He might. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. So in what two your... weeks, it's going to be mandatory. So well, everybody's going to be there. So your thoughts, I mean, the fact that right now there are, these are voluntary, you know, they're, they're voluntary. So some of the main guys on offense are not there. Now, Anthony, uh, Amari Cooper is there, but some of the guys are not participating in some of the more of the team activities. They're coming or, off injuries. Yeah. So, just your overall thoughts about these players and maybe Miles Garrett himself, because I know some people have been critical. Tony Grossi on 850 ESPN discussed it about, you know, Miles Garrett not being that that leader. Um, the fact that Joe Woods got <laughs> fired last year. And so should we be really punishing Miles right now or is it just talk? I'll jump in on this. Okay, I'll Joel. Okay. And this this is this Go is Joel. just talk. I mean, I know that uh, J.C. Treader and the almighty NFL Player Association are trying to reduce player load, and one of the things they've gone after is OTAs. I mean, if you guys remember, Treader convinced almost the entire team not to show up to OTAs one year, and I don't think that's positive. I'm not so worried about some of the offensive guys. I'm really not. They just spend a whole lot of time together. Training camp is for introducing the playbook. OTAs are for like, let's get together and do stuff. The people who would really benefit from this are the younger players. And I would say kudos to some of the older players for giving the younger players some reps by not showing up. But I do want to talk about Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett, in my opinion, needs to be there because he's about to play a defense that's going to be completely different than what he's played. And he has never yeah. played in a double gap scheme. Now, he needs to have reps will he have meaningful reps at otas probably not in the long run it's probably not gonna matter much and tony grossi okay whatever gonna i mean like if if his job had a voluntary not get paid for hanging out and writing articles i'm not sure that's what he's doing so i'm not gonna blame miles garrett for not showing up to something that like it's not mandatory he's not getting paid it's not technically a part of his job so, okay, whatever. But I do think he would have benefited from being around the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, um, Elliot, Steve? No, I, I totally disagree. I'll tell you why. Okay. A couple of reasons. One is that Miles Garrett uh, was a good soldier, went to the Pro Bowl, and had a dislocated toe for his uh, trouble. Yes. And I think he 
you know, it's a 17-game season now, plus all the playoffs and the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Uh, there's plenty of time to to get adjusted. Uh, Miles Garrett's job is just to occupy two defenders on every play. Uh, that's really not going to change that much. He has plenty of time to pick up the new uh, defense. His role is not going to be uh, that uh, complicated, I don't believe. Elliot, let me ask you this, though, just to add, counter a little bit that. You know, I was talking to your editor-in-chief, uh, Randy Gersey, who I think, um, Joel, you had the pleasure to interview earlier in the week on your show, What the Elf Was At. Please go back and listen to that. It was great interview. But he and I were chatting just in text uh, earlier today about Miles, and he's sort of under the what Joel kind of said as far as being there. And I think part of it, too, is going back, his opinion, at least Randy's was, is that um, because of how things ended with, Joe Woods and Miles kind of being the spokesperson for the team and pointing out people that aren't being accountable or he's made statements like that. The fact that he's not there now, even though it's voluntary, it just doesn't come off very good. It gives everybody a good, good look. I don't think I need Miles Garrett to be the spokesperson. I think I need him to line up a defensive end and sack the quarterback. That's his job. I don't, you know, he can run for political office when he retires and be a spokesperson and sell shaving cream and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I want Miles Garrett to line up a defensive end and really be an SOB on Sunday. That's what I think his job is. <laughs> and I really don't care what he does in the offseason. I just want him to not injure himself. And so right. I think he's never showed up out of shape. I mean, look at his body. He's not out of shape. He doesn't no. really need to show up and work himself out. And, well, it's just uh, so funny to me, too. The, maybe part of it is because I think with the defense being new, I mean, you have a player like Nick Chubb, who, again, who's a, supposedly the night, you know, neat team guy, but he's not there either. David Njoku, you know, not there. Same, so. same thing. Those guys, man, they need to pace themselves. Yeah. Let's save it for the yeah. regular season. I, yes. I'm totally yeah, on this, their side. Steve, yeah. This was why I wasn't so concerned about the offensive guys because they're down there hanging out together, working out together. So you, they're getting that bonding in. When I say Miles Garrett should be there, I just think he should be there in, in the environment just to find out what's going on, listening to what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I think the nuance of what he's been playing to what he's about to be playing is right. – significant and like there's a significant difference i know a lot of people will get up here and tell you there's no difference between a three four and a four three and a single gap and a double gap and a one and a half gap system they're all full of crap because there is a lot different going on if you think the defense is just about just discovering the pass then who cares how many linemen you got if you think mm-hmm. the defensive line is about rushing the passer who cares how many their linebackers are versus linemen mm-hmm. but but defense is more than that. We've watched yeah. the run defense just fall apart the last few years because yeah. they're trying to cover the run on the way to the passer. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is going to be about. This is going to no. be about sustained, defined run techniques. Mm-hmm. So Miles Garrett has never, I haven't seen ever, ever seen him use a double gap technique, not in college, not in the pros. Mm-hmm. I am going to be glued on this man when the season starts to see what in the world they do with him. Do they look at him and say, well, he's never going to get it. So we're just going to do single gap with him and make up for it on the rest of the line, which I've seen Mm. people do, or they're going to get him to be a double gap player. If he's going to be a double gap player, he needs to be there figuring that out. Mm -hmm. That is not easy. No, 
Steve, what do you think? Where you fall on this? It's May, right? Month of May, right? <laughs> I, yes. It it's a voluntary workout. I mean, the, like Elliot said, this this guy's a freak of nature. He never yeah. shows up hurt. He always shows up when he's supposed to be there. Yeah. It's not like he's OBJ pining and whining after the trade to still live in New York City. You know, the offense is also new. Uh yeah. gonna have a brand new offense. I saw, you know, of the videos I saw, uh, I saw a little more motion involved mm -hmm. in the offense. And yeah, the defensive leader, the guy who's the spokesman is Anthony Walker. He is the defensive mm -hmm. leader on offense. Yeah. It's supposed to be the quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and it's going to be the, the quarterback, mm. Deshaun yeah. Watson. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I'm not really worried about it. <laughs> like well, Elliot, just, yeah. just show up on Sunday so and we, kill yeah. the quarterback. That's, that's all I want. <laughs> so we've I don't got think one it's that easy. I don't, I don't think Make it's that Joe easy. Make Joe Burrow see ghosts game yes. one. That's what I want. So we've got a week more of these OTAs, I believe, going in the next Ooh. week. And then there's a pause. second week in June is the mandatory. The second week in June. Okay. So we're all going to, you know, be back here talking about that. And that is, so we've got a few weeks. So the OTAs go, they, they roll into next week from what I understand. I think that when I was looking at the dates, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but anyway, so there are other stories, you know, smaller stories like Elijah Moore, you know, he's, they interviewed him a little bit and, Seems like he's excited to to be here, and so we'll look forward to that. Um, you well, know, yeah, Sean, all the new yeah. guys are excited to be here. Yeah, um, better be. you know, it may be the contract <laughs> talking, but <laughs> um, I thought Joel, your comment on your podcast the other day, or maybe when you and Elliot were talking, and uh, the other one earlier today, you mentioned a player like um, Isaiah Thomas mm -hmm. uh, struggling. I think maybe where you talked to Joel, or I mean Randy, on that maybe that mm -hmm. you see that. Isaiah Thomas, um, defensive tackle, and, and, and yeah, from Oklahoma State could potentially no, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Could, mm -hmm. yeah, could be potentially on the practice squad or not even on this team by the time we, mm -hmm. uh, because of how where he played and how he played and right. You want to elaborate a little bit on well, that? Part of that was going back to this double gap versus single gap scheme. I mean. The single gap scheme, you're just using techniques to go through one gap and just going full abandon. This is what Miles Garrett does. All right. A double gap scheme, you want to fire into a defender, kind of use a rip and pull technique or any kind of technique you need to to ascertain how they're trying to block you. Mm -hmm. Counter that block and make the play. It takes some technique to make this happen. As where you're just kind of in a single gap, you're just shooting a gap and maybe rip or spin or something, but yeah, you know exactly yeah. what you're doing. In a double gap scheme, you have to ascertain what you need to do on the play, mid-play, as it's going on. Right. So Alex Wright has done this. I think he was at uh, Central uh, Florida it, or Southern Florida. No, it's UAB or University Okay, Alabama. UAB. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. I watched film on him, and he's he's done this. He hasn't done it real well. Yeah. But he's done it. And I, and I having having played in a double gap scheme and a single gap scheme, having coached single gaps and coached yeah. double gaps. I'm telling you, it's harder to play in a double gap and it's harder to coach a double gap because of it requires you to fire into alignment and, and kind of figure out what they're trying to do to you and then figure out how are you going to counter that. 
once and you have to have reps to do it. Mm-hmm. You just have to do it. That's why I'm concerned week one, maybe we're not going to be ready for the run. Yeah. We're going to have to work all that stuff out because you got yeah. to do it live and in game day. But right. um, Isaiah Thomas, and this is the same thing I say about Perry on Winfrey. They're both from that Oklahoma single gap system. So when these guys are drafted, they fit what Joe Woods does, right? You just take the leash off the animal and set them loose. Yeah. Well, now, now you're going to take uh, a guy and you're going to say, okay, you're going to try this, 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 this. If you, your guy in front of you pulls away, you know, look back inside. There's probably coming somebody coming at you. You got to take him with this technique or this technique or this right. technique. You know, it, it's a whole different way of of doing things. And until you get it in your head and you becomes natural through repetition, your players are going to play a little bit slower because they're yeah. thinking about what they're doing. Joe, so that so so, so that that concerns me as as a Browns fan because we've seen what Browns teams who have to think sometimes. How they well, react. just until just until you internalize it and figure yeah. out what's actually right. going on, and that requires, like anything, just a certain minimal amount of repetitions to At reach a critical mass to get there. Yeah. I, I've okay. got a question, Joel. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Will the Browns' personnel changes uh, change the the frequency with which the opposing defenses double team Miles Garrett? Because I thought it was practically every play last mm-hmm. season. So will the personnel changes? I think they're going to double team Miles Garrett until somebody else proves to them they can't. Right. Well, well and maybe with this will it happen? I mean, I think Zadarius Smith could make Zedaria it happen. Smith. Right. But I think but, so, then, yeah. but then what then what you can counter with is having both of those players being double teamed. But to do that, you lose a receiver, which is a win for the Browns. Or you could yep. just double team right. one of them. And take your chances with the other. Say we've got a dump off if this person's coming hot to hit the dump off play, which mm-hmm. takes another receiver out of the route concept because you need him as a safety outlet. Just a small, I'm switching total gears on you here, but I know Elliot loves uh, wide receivers uh, on the Browns. And one of your um, favorites on the, has been on the practice squad. I was, I think it's Isaiah Weston. Yes. Uh, yeah. Semi was. Did you see the news today that broke that he kind of re, they put him on the retired, injured, injured list? Injured, retired list. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Was the knee didn't recover in the off season? Was, was... Uh, not sure. They just kind of announced it. I'm. We're, obviously, I think that's could be a factor. But I know that you were you had a lot of praise for that kid. And um, yeah, yeah. No, so, he was really good last season, but he, you know, he did have that uh, knee injury, and they were concerned about it. Yeah, and the recovery rate is less than a hundred percent from these things. So yeah, uh, the so, odds were in his favor, but it was not a hundred percent. Yeah, so, which brings um, us to now they have an eighty-nine man roster, so they got to add somebody. Ah. And so who, like, you know, they've been bringing in some running backs. Um, uh, Daryl Henderson really intrigues me. Okay. Actually, I do, have a comment. I do have a comment about that. What day is today? <laughs> yeah, with the 25th. You know, there's um, a lot of these free agents, you know, people are wondering, why haven't they signed this guy? Why haven't they signed that right. guy? There's this big name free agent guy. Well, June 1st is the date that a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, designated uh, – Yes, right. And the salary cap suddenly takes a drop of, you know, like five or ten million dollars. And so a lot of these guys that uh, just physically cannot be signed 
at the moment mm-hmm. uh, because there really is a I'm, I'm really sorry for you guys to say there is no salary cap but there is a salary cap <laughs> and there is no salary cap room to sign some of these guys you know whether it's the browns or some other team that are up against the limit right uh, but that limit changes on june 1st and we may see some of these guys sign with new teams okay so i think june 1st could be a, a very interesting news day um thinking of like uh, isn't deandre hopkins still on the market yes so why hasn't he been picked up by uh i'm still teams? rooting for zeke man i still want zeke this is the well, uh, zeke is old man who lost I, steps club i would say that zeke is going to sign with a team that's right up against the salary cap barrier today. Yeah. And that will be not up against the salary cap barrier on June 1st. So I think if we did some homework and figured out what team is going to clear salary cap room on June 1st, that is the team that is going to sign uh, Zeke Elliott. That could be the Cleveland Browns. I haven't really studied it that closely to figure it out. But oh, that would be a great day. Is tight, and uh, I believe that uh, um, John Johnson the third will come off of the uh, roster at that time. Yes, and I yep. think also um, we probably also clear some room uh, from uh, Jadevian Clowney. I think. for John Johnson, 1.65 for... Uh, No, uh, it's not that much. We don't get the whole... We don't get everything... No. No? We don't get everything back. We get part... I'm going by Jack Duffin, so... Well, no, I don't believe it's that much. I think it's like half of that or two-thirds of that. I don't know what the exact number is. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is that much. But... um, Okay. uh, but anyway, well, we'll, yeah. some amount of money comes down off of the cap, and they'll have some amount of that that's available to sign somebody else. Okay. So, uh, guys, we're going to go ahead. Uh, we're going to take a short break on the our Fanatical Elves show. This is the Fanatical Elves Network. We will be back. We have some trivia questions coming up, some cardiac history um, that the guys are going to share out. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we'll be right back. Again, this is the Fanatical Elves show. Okay, we are back. We are the Fanatical Elf Show. And, that was a uh, long break. I know, right? Yeah, I always, I just love that part. I feel like, you know, I talked about this in the other episode, but it's so, so funny to me, you know, because when I was growing up, you know, you watch those, um, you know, the Family Feud and The Price is Right. And I was like, oh, maybe the next day they come on. And then you find out that they re- record all the shows like on, on one day for the whole week. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, you know, that was kind of news to me when I was a kid. <laughs> Um, so we've been talking a little bit about, uh, the OTAs and, and, uh, we've got like Elliot just mentioned before the break about the June 1st deadline and some of these players that will be released on some of these teams, creating more cap space. Um, so something that we'll be paying attention to. So we're going to jump into some history right now. We're switch gears a little bit. We've got our Browns trivia, um, since we've been honoring Jim Brown, our trivia question today, and see if you guys can figure this out for us here. I'll give you a second to hear the question and see what you think here. So um, when did Jim Brown score his first, or who did Jim Brown 
score his first rushing touchdown against or win and who was it against his first rushing touchdown of his career i'll give you a second to think about that um he Cue started the his, theme. i know dun, 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 i know i should have that right now he started his career in 1957 and um hold on one second i, I gotta go get something so if you see me off screen i'll be right back I'm back. Um, so, any thoughts on that? Any guesses? Just ballpark? Th- throw out a a game, a time. Guess? No? They're all stunned. They're like, well... Well, I had to cheat. I knew the answer because you told me. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Elliot? Tell us. Uh, is, is it the Washington team? Uh, no, it was the uh, no. No, I was It was it was game it was game four game of four. the fifty seven season. It was actually their first loss on the season. They played the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they wow. actually played okay. them in back to back weeks, game three and game four, and he rushed for his first touchdown at the very end of that game four in nineteen fifty seven. It was a. 17-7? Yes. Score? Yep. Wow, okay. Yep. And interestingly, he he scored on a ru- on a passing touchdown uh in the previous week against the same Philadelphia Eagles in, in a game that the Browns won. Um so yeah, they played Philly back-to-back weeks, which I thought was unusual. Kind of reminded me of when the uh Browns played the Ravens on a couple seasons ago or was that last year that they did that? They it played was last before- year. Last they played year. them before the bye and then after the bye. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So that was our, our Browns trivia question about Boy, Jim Brown. Trivia. I don't even win when I cheat. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, just, we talked about this a little bit about Jim Brown and him just being so good, you know, and looking at his stat lines, you know, the cardiac, uh, our cardiac history segment is talking more of again about Jim Brown and one of all of those those great games that he had. And he had a lot of great games. And I think Joel, you and Elliot touched on this on your other podcast, but he used to save his best for the Washington Redskins. And um, that was, you know, when you look at stat lines against the Redskins, he oftentimes had like, he would go over 200 yards. And I think it was the first game of the 60. Trying to think it was a 62 or 63 season game one. 63 yeah, where a monster oh uh, monster game was yeah a monster year yeah 80 yard touchdown pass that he rumbled for ran for pretty much 80 yards and then he's rushed for one for 80 yards um those were his two career highs yeah 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 the rushing touchdown was 80 plus and the passing i think the passing was 81 yards both yeah. were his career highs do you guys have any other um, moments in Jim Brown or other, you know, moments like that that you can recount or have looked back at since you've been studying him the last week or so? I admire him for telling Art Modell to go, you know what himself. That's, <laughs> you know, you know all the guy does that. He, he had a, it was interesting because when you listen to him, Jim Brown talk early on in his career, Paul Brown was still around and he um, 
when I mean he was having issues with Paul Brown. Paul Brown left. Art Modell came, you know, was had come in. So initially, the relationship between him and Art were was pretty positive. Yeah, correct? because he like went and Collier. Yeah, no, it, it, Brown, no, like, it was it was very positive. The 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 problem that uh, arose was his movie career uh, caused him to be late to training camp, and Modell couldn't stand that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's gonna find and, him and every that's day. Why and... there was a fight, and uh, Modell said, "Well, you've got to." Uh, you know, crawl on your knees to get me to uh, admit you back onto the team. Yeah. And uh, Brown said, you know, I'm making more money as a movie star than as a football player. Yes. And so he's retired. I still need yeah. to watch that movie, Steve. I haven't, I haven't watched it. Joel, you have, have you not it? seen Dirty Dozen? I, I, I have it's not on, either. I, it's on my list. It's on oh my, my list. Oh my God. I'm going to get it done this weekend. I promise, Steve. I promise. Well, if you're going to watch Dirty Dozen, you got to watch 100 Rifles. See, I think this is, this is. And, and Burt Reynolds. And you got to watch the... Ice Ice Station Zebra. I mean, come on. These are three yeah, classic Jim Brown Those movies. Those are the classic Jim Brown movies, I, yes. This is a segment we should have. Like, like, maybe I'll do this on What the Elf Was That? The best Jim Brown movies. Like, I Dirty like Dozen. Jim Brown. I like Jim Brown and Mars Attacks. Maybe I could. Mars maybe attacked. I should. He saved but the Joel. Earth maybe that's Mars what we. Attacks. Joel, because you. So you've seen that one. You've seen that one, Joel. Mars attacks. Yeah. yeah oh it. my gosh. So my family and I, we have these movies that like constitute half of our language toward each other, and Mars attacks is one of those. <laughs> and there's some serious lines by Jim Brown in that movie, like. Like uh, he gets in the car with Jack Nicholson, and Jack Nicholson's trying to get him to go beat up somebody to get some money, and he's like, "Why you come at like me like this, aren't I? I found Allah. I'm a better man. I gave up pork." And Jack Nicholson looks at him and says, "You gave up pork?" So that's our little line. Like, like whenever you do something stupid, it's like you gave up pork. You gave up pork. Well, here's maybe what we could do with the segment. Maybe this that would be interesting, Joel. We should like I I have no background with you know um, Jim Brown movies, so maybe I should be like watching one every week, and then we can dis- <laughs> we can discuss it, and then you guys can tell me what I like. I'll give you my review, and then we can you know who, who you know. I've never seen the Dirty Dozen so. again. I've never seen the Dirty yeah. Dozen, so I probably just need to watch. I it. love Lee Marvin. I mean, Lee Marvin was actually a World War II veteran. He fought in World War II. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, really, everybody did at that time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, just going back, I'm looking at these. I I'm just fascinated, jumping back and forth here. But you know, uh, the Jim Brown seasons. I talked a little bit off air on this, but if you look at these games, we just talked about the Washington game that that start of the uh, 19, um, you said 62, right? Six, 62 uh, was not a good year for him. 63 no, was a good year. It was 63. Year. 63. And then there was this game in 19. The one that I caught my eye was, um, well, I'm going to, well, I'll just mention it now. I was going to mention it later, but it was uh, in 1961, November 19th. They were playing the, uh, again, Philadelphia Eagles. It seems like the Browns just always play the Eagles. He went for 34 carries and 237 yards, practically a seven-yard gain uh, yeah. per carry no, for the touchdowns. Like, just, like, mind-blowing. Just crazy. And that year was kind of, it was a good year, but he had a stretch of, like, 
five games where he went over well over 100 yards. But there were other seasons where, I mean, in 1963, he started the year off by going for 162, 232, 175, 122, 144, and 223. I'm like, just like, that's just, that's just awesome. And like you said, it was against nine, nine man fronts. So I mean, he averaged a hundred yards a game for his career. It's that's impressive. Oh, the only guy in the NFL. uh, 104 point something is the for every game for his career. For his career, 104 yards. Very astonishing. I mean, I went through a lot of stats on Jim Brown. I mean, it's it's insane. He averaged 5.2 yards a carry. Barry Sanders has five, and the closest to him was four seven. Now, Barry Sanders, but I like, and I think you've pointed this out on your shows and I've mentioned it with some writing, but I mean, statistically Barry was very, he was similar, not the same kind of player as Jim Brown, but um, the way the numbers look, I mean, they stack mm-hmm. up. You got, I mean, the numbers are there. Yeah. But Barry was not the blocker that Jim Brown was. Oh no, no. I no, yeah, I got I mean, Now the thing about Barry, the thing that I like talking, why I bring up Barry is because he's also from Wichita, Kansas which I uh, lived in. I lived in Wichita for 26 years. And so Barry Sanders is a, is a superhero back in Wichita. He went to one of the local high schools. And uh, so he's always been, you know, and he still goes back to Wichita a lot. So he went to Oklahoma state where he played college. So that was kind of the background. Yeah, he was, there. he was a super elusive guy. Like you could, he's one of those guys you yeah. could just never catch. Jim Brown was right. those guys where you could, when you yeah. caught him, you could never yeah. tackle him. Yeah, so there's a big yep. difference between yeah, I mean big, the big, styles. Big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally different runner, and uh, yeah, that's one of the things that you know I could go on a soapbox about whether we want the Canton place to be the Hall of Stats, or mm. do we want it to be the Hall of Fame? Yes, um, and there's a lot of people that were put in because of stats. So yeah, where do you guys land on Clay Matthews? I know this is totally he should have been in a long time ago. In the Hall of Fame, <laughs> long time ago. Who plays linebacker for 19 years? <laughs> I I just don't know how he's been overlooked all these years. Joel, where do you fall on that with Clay? I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think we all agree on that. Then yeah. okay, yeah, well, it's Clay's okay. fault. Should be. Browns We're Browns fans. Football. We're Browns. Well, fans. we are. We, yeah. Really? <laughs> no. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So Joel and I were talking just a little bit ago about our, our elf hats. Um, I got mine, I think in Cleveland Browns, uh, the pro shop. So if, you know, I don't know if they're there, but um, I, I didn't know if I was too orange today or not, Joel, but I think we're okay. You're, so. you're looking good. That hat is snazzy. Yeah, it is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, um, so just, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to jump to your segment, Elliot. Um, any Steeler uh, news or Steeler uh, jokes, I should say. Yeah, did, did we talk about the uh, logo and the helmets? Uh, no. You want to talk no, about that first? Yeah, well, I, I, this is a serious uh, trivia question. But uh, can you name for me the uh, one team that has the logo only on one side of the helmet? And can you tell me why it's only on one side of the helmet? Oh, oh. The Cowboys? Steelers. No, no, no. Steelers. No? Yeah, it's the Steelers. John, this is a Steelers segment, man. 
Yeah, that was come on, like, man. <laughs> yeah, you're as bad as me muffing the come Jim Brown. Thing. Yeah, Can I take my hat off now. I should, I should, I should take my hat off. You're not yeah, very good at drifting, are you? The Steelers <laughs> have logo only on one side of their helmet, and the reason yeah. is is that um, back when Terry, Bra- you know, was introduced when Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback, and it was because their wide receivers and linemen couldn't tell the difference between their right and left. And so whenever they called a sweep to the right, half of the players would go to the right and half would go to the left and they'd collide in the middle and they couldn't get any yards. (laughs) So they had to put the logo just on one side of the helmet. And so then they could look at the helmet and know whether they were supposed to run towards the logo or away from the logo. And from then on, Franco Harris could make a lot of yards because they would always run in the same direction. And that's the true story of why they put the logo only on one side of the helmet. And if you don't believe me, just go on the internet and look at any picture of the Steelers and you'll find that it's true. The logo is only on one side of the helmet. And that's a fact. <laughs> Truth. Thank you, Elliot. A wonderful well, they won their Super Bowls because they couldn't tell their left from their right. Is no, they could tell, saying? but they just needed that that visual aid to help them out. And that's totally within the rules. So I don't begrudge them one little tiny bit. It worked for them. Good thing they didn't put it uh-huh. in the middle. <laughs> Well, yeah, then that wouldn't have worked for them. But putting the logo on one side of the helmet worked for them. Uh, I mean, it was a good move. Brilliant. I think it was probably Chuck Knoll's idea, and it worked. There you they go. They were such a crappy team before he got came along. That that's the Steelers were just like they well, were. We expect they're running into each other. <laughs> they can't run the sweep, and that was very important in the <laughs> 1960s and 1970s. There's a lot to be said about Paul Brown and the Cleveland Browns just creating good teams in the NFL, right? You know, Chuck Knoll, Cleveland guy, like Cleveland Brown, right? going over there, making it a good team. But did you know, just in case, I mean, maybe I'll save this yeah. for the did you know segment. No, this is, we're, we're, we're there already, so go, okay. go for it. Do you know that, like, you know how much I hate Baltimore, so I'm going to get into this Baltimore hate thing again. That the Ravens are like the fourth NFL franchise in Baltimore, and they had three iterations of the Colts, two of which yes. failed, and one moved to Indianapolis. And when the second iteration, the one that like the third iteration, the one that's currently mm-hmm. in Indianapolis came around, the NFL went to Paul Brown and said, Can you send coaches over there? And Paul Brown somehow orchestrated Johnny Unitas going to Baltimore so that they would have players. To have a competitive team, they sent coaches, they sent players. Like the Browns made the Colts who right. they were in Baltimore. Like that city should just be like worshiping Cleveland because they wouldn't have had any of these stupid teams they've had if it wasn't for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it is. It's uh, Don Shula. You know, I've got uh, something. I, coach I, of the, I the 64 mm. championship game. I, I think it's Wait one of the, the people Brown. the Browns sent over there. Yeah. I, you know what? I hate to tell you this, Joel. I know. It's going to contradict me. That's what he this. does. That's oh, what he no. does. I hate to tell you this, but um, 
The Baltimore Colts are actually the Cleveland Rams. The Baltimore yeah. Colts, okay, are the Cleveland Rams. Yeah, it's yeah, actually, they came to Cleveland, Cleveland Rams, true. and the Rams went to L.A. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. okay. They the the point being, they didn't stay in Baltimore because the stadium was crap, and they like didn't want to stay there. Then they had a second ter- version of the Baltimore Colts, and yeah, that stadium was crap, know, and they didn't the, want to the, stay there for that. The owner then of the, the Colts and the owner of the Rams actually traded teams, the whole teams. They they traded franchises. So the owner of the Colts became the owner of the Rams, and the owner of the Rams became the when, owner of the Colts. When did that so happen? Um, let's see. It happened way when did the Ro- the Rosenblums? I think nineteen forties. Um, they left Cleveland in forty five for L.A. Okay, after winning the championship. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. This is the Colts. I know it was before and that. the Rams. While you're doing that, does any uh, Steve? Do you have a did you know um, thing you'd like to share? And we'll come back to the 1972. 1970. Oh, okay. So that's more. Is that right? Seven. No. Hmm. Yeah, that was a, that was another owner of the Colts involving hmm. the the Rams and somebody else. I think. And I think I looked up this thing on Johnny Unitas. So Unitas okay. was on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Steelers cut him. And Paul Brown wanted to sign Unitas because he thought Unitas was going to be a good quarterback. But yeah. the league came to Brown, and Brown let the Colts sign Unitas as opposed to bringing him into Cleveland. Oh wow! And that's how he ended up in Baltimore. Wow! Who was the Browns? Co- or who was the was it? Who was the Browns quarterback at that point? We in know? 55, I, I'm thinking Would that, that uh, Milt Plum, Plum again. Milt Plum. Plum. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. He was the quarterback in 57. So I'm, I'm going back a couple of years. And they Browns used to, they weren't going through 35 quarterbacks like they've done since 1999. Uh, so. right, but, but Brown wanted Unitas and wanted to stash him. And Isn't that interesting to see? Bring him that, up. And the, I mean, and the league's the like, could have let him go Johnny to Baltimore. Unitas. Could have had Johnny Unitas. Wow, he still even after Brown got fired by the Browns, he still worked for him as a as a scout. Really, and when they drafted Paul Warfield, he wanted uh, the Browns to turn him into a defensive back and not a wide receiver. I so, heard that about Paul. You're talking about Paul. I mean, um, Paul Warfield. Yeah, Paul Warfield. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've heard that. He story. said, "Oh, he we can turn him into a defensive back." Thank God they didn't. I mean, you know, Hall yeah. of Fame wide receiver. Yeah. Cool. Who turned into Mike Phelps? Ooh, right. But anyway, there's your did did you know segment for you from you, Steve? Yeah, that, I know. That's awesome. Um, while Elliot, you're looking for that real quick. Uh, just want to talk to the viewers who are watching or listening to our fanatical elves show tonight. Part of Fans First Sports Network. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, we also uh, want to give a shout out to Cleveland Sports Talk, who um, supports us too by. Uh, uh, sharing out our podcasts and re- retweets and whatnot. So thank you for your support. Um, I know we have Joel and Elliot contribute also to um, Dog Pound Daily. I also write for them. Uh, Northeast Sports Insiders, I, I have a blog for them too. So please tune into all of our um, podcasts. Again, Joel has the uh, What the Elf Was That show. He also, uh, uh, Elliot 
hosts another show with Joel called Football uh, Philosophy and Rocket Science. Rocket Science. Awesome stuff. We also have Rod Bloom, who does the Browns Blitz. That will be coming to you uh, tomorrow, probably on Friday. So he's doing it, knocking it out of the park out there. Uh, three of our contributors actually live there in the Dayton, Ohio region, which is pretty cool. You don't see that very often. So we're just excited. Thank you for following along in our, our podcasting. Um, Want to just talk about this real quick since we're um, kind of coming to a close here. <coughs> we're going to have, folks, a, a new trivia giveaway. Now, we're going to give details in this trivia giveaway starting with um, on Sunday. I'll have our kickoff. Um, uh, any given Sunday kickoff show that we bring to you on Sundays. I'll have a few extra details about this new trivia contest. That's going to, we're going to have a grand prize on that and you're going to love it folks. And so I'm excited to get that started. Um, our colleagues here, Joel and Elliot and Steve, we're going to help with that trivia. Uh, we want you to tune in to our shows, uh, listen to our podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. Anywhere you listen to your uh, podcast, please tune in and find the Fanatical Elves show. We can be found on um, Elves Network, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook. So please uh, follow along. Spread the word. We're, we're gaining followers on all the social media platforms. And if you pay us enough, we'll show up at your house. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I won't. I won't. No. No. Uh, so thanks again for listening. Um, LA, did you find that info? Was that, did you find anything else? Yeah, okay. actually it was later than I thought, uh, but it did happen. The uh, ownership of the, uh, uh, the uh, Colts, Carol Rosenblum was the owner of the Colts and he left Baltimore in uh, 1972 and uh, okay. so he wound up being the owner of the Rams in Los Angeles. And Robert Ursay uh, uh, was the owner of the uh, Rams. And he went to uh, Baltimore and then so ultimately moved the team uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. So yeah, it was okay. the Cleveland Cleveland Rams did us in. Cleveland Rams <laughs> wound up becoming Colts and then moved the team to Indianapolis so that Modell could fill the void in Baltimore. So the Cleveland Rams has got their revenge on us. Oh, interesting. Uh, let's start, Steve. Final thoughts on the evening. We're, we'll again be. Um, we've got. Podcast coming up later this weekend, so please stay tuned, fans. Uh, final thoughts on this week's show and what you're looking forward to in the next week or two for the Brownies. Um, well, I, I was uh, amazed as I am every year um, about as soon as images and pictures hit social media of the, you know practicing how yeah. how everybody uh, gets excited all of brown's twitter is all excited and i contribute that to a, a because i do have a psychology degree to the psycho uh, psycho the psychological premise of gambler's fallacy mm. so <laughs> i'm gonna have a little article on clevelandsportstalk.com on that coming oh, up very it. soon if for those who don't know what gambler fallacy is it's uh, i'll give you an example you're sitting at the roulette wheel and after about six times, it 
ends up red, you're thinking, well, it's got to change. It's due to change to black. And, you, you know, it's, it's the notion that an event, a concurrent event will continue to happen. And you hope that a opposite event happens. Mm. It's like, you know, when a pitcher is due. Somebody right. says, well, that pitcher is due for a win. Oh, or like due. the Guardians, they're due for a win. You know, that's a gambler's fallacy. So, Elliot, I, I'm intrigued by this every year, how everybody yes. gets all, all pumped and the first images. And I mean, you know, the first video was uh, Deshaun Watson showing, uh, throwing to Elijah Moore against air. And it's like, ooh, playoff bound, baby. <laughs> oh, the excitement is in the air, air isn't it, Steve? That's oh, great. yeah. I'll wait till the third preseason game against the Eagles before I get excited. Even right. that'll be practice. And even that'll be vanilla. Who was it? Part of our episode um, podcast title was practice. Wasn't it Allen Iverson, the basketball player? Practice. 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 Practice? Yeah. Elliot, final thoughts on the on the evening. Practice. 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 (laughs) I have final thought. I think that by June second, the Cleveland Browns will announce one more significant addition to the to the roster one mm. more significant addition that's what okay I, I like that joel I, I the left guard that. final take i don't really have anything else to take i i really <laughs> hope that uh what we're hearing about from or hearing from dorian thompson robinson about the browns offense being close to the chip kelly style offense uh as opposed to the um, Kyle Shanahan offense. I hope that actually plays out. I think okay. that would be perfect for what the Browns are built to do. Excellent. Well, I've seen a lot of motion in the videos. I've seen a lot of, a lot more than I have in the past. Well, it's Stefanski amazing. does a lot of shifting, so you could be seen shifting too. That that is true. Yeah. Okay, folks. Well, thank you again for tuning in to the Fanatical Elves Show. This part of the Fanatical Elves Network. Thanks again for following along, and we will see you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night. Go Browns.